Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Halloween <laughs> stuff. Uh, as you can see, we are both in costume. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, on this podcast, we uh, like to talk about games. Uh, but because... So it, a weird, a weird thing that happened, a weird thing that happened is that we didn't have a good topic for Halloween, or I'm sorry, for, for this podcast, and Halloween happened to fall on the same, we were just like, we should just talk about, we should just talk about Halloween stuff, right? So that's where we're at. We're talking about Halloween stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm, there is a small chance that some children will show up and I will have to hand them candy, but uh, that is part of why, that's part of why I showed up on camera in costume. And Buddy was like, let's let's do some Halloween stuff. So, um, maybe to kick us off, um, so I recently, I know you've seen The Witch, we talked about this a little bit. Um, yep. I recently saw The Witch with my with my girlfriend, and I don't know if I want to go too much specifically on The Witch, although feel free to, to talk to it, but it, something that like really popped out at me, which is why I typically don't like horror films, is, and this is especially a problem that is especially prevalent in The Witch, is it feels a lot of times like the plot just happens to the, you know, the ostensible protagonists, and there's not a lot that they could have done to change anything. And, you know, like, it feels kind of, I don't know, I, I find these types of movies, um, I don't want to say boring, but unsatisfying because of this fact. Yeah, uh, like, I, I think I get that. On one end, I, I really liked The Witch, and I thought it was a great, I thought it was a great movie, right? Um, but it's one of those things that I liked because it did something other than plot very well. I, I would probably agree with you that the plot sort of sucks and also isn't even really there. But just, like, the mood, right? And, like, the dread. And, like, all of this ambiance that goes into all of the pieces that make The Witch the Witch. Um, also, it's a very good period piece, right? Like, Yeah, 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 yeah. Apparently they worked Let very hard to, like, get all the historical details <clears throat> right. Um, and, and I think all of that really worked for me, right, uh, when, it, when it came to this movie. But, like, um, I do think that horror movies are weirdly kind of parables a lot of the time, right, in that it is, like, the hubris of the characters. Like, you know, sex, for instance, with slasher films, right? It is, you know, if you are a virgin, if you are chaste, you get to live at the end because you're a good girl, right? And if you are a slut, you get murdered, right? Like, that's the, that's the bottom bottom of the moral sort of underpinning of any of these horror movies but it does create at least a little bit of agency right these yeah. characters are making this decision and that decision has horrible consequences right i don't think anybody made really any decisions in the witch that were like they're not they're, they're not yeah. directly connected to the plot right like like yeah. you know the um you know, everybody's kind of a hip like they're they're Puritans. They're very devout Puritans, right? And you know, they get thrown out of the compound they're in because the father is effectively preaching heresy. We're, we're, we don't get a lot of details, but it seems like he's like just a more extreme Puritan than, than even the other Puritans. Are you know, you're going a little yep. far there. Um, but like you know, he you know like the one of the central things is he lies about um, what happened to the mother's cup. He sold it to go for traps. Um, and he just didn't tell the wife about it. And he kind of, like, lets his daughter take the blame for it for a little while before he brings it up. Um, in the course of trying to cover this, he has his son lying, which is also, you know, very anti-Puritan. Um, and so, like, I guess in, in the kind of sense that you're identifying that, like, you know, having sex 
only directly leads to your murder in such that, like, you are distracted while it's happening. It's not like, you know, most horror villains are killing you because you've had sex. It's just kind of like a a moral status of the world. I think that kind of shines through in The Witch, right? Like, these people are not the Puritans that they seem to be. Um, so, so, you know, this is visited upon them. But it's not like, you know, the devil has come to them and tempted them in any specific way. And this is and this is their folly. Just kind of like they happen to be not great Puritans, and the devil also happened to be around at the same time, or these witches happened to be around at the same time and did some pretty fucked up stuff to them, right? Like, yeah. also the father is like you know not very good at farming, right? Like, and not very good at hunting, and this is what causes their problems. But it's not like you know maybe there's supposed to be some ambiguity in there, but like again, it's like it's not like any of them have any control over. Most of what happens, right? I think the most, <coughs> bless you, the most, Thank you. like, like there's maybe an argument that like <coughs> some of the stuff they did was like reckless, right? Like the son um, kind of wanders out into the woods kind of recklessly following the dog. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and the, I think the mother most of all is kind of like wants to believe that her, her, it, you know, her eldest daughter is causing this to happen. Um, but like it's, it's it's hard to say that like this feels like any sort of like cosmic justice or anything, which is maybe what like the horror the horror movies kind of like generally get at is like you know, you know like um I I tend to think of um like Friday the Thirteenth, which is you know he was like a, in some at some level a, a tortured camper or like an avatar of revenge for that for like these you know against these people who are being shitty in kind of general, but like. I don't know, I didn't get a lot of that in The Witch, right? Like, yeah, because it is I the devil, like a lot right? Like, go on, sorry. And I feel like a lot of The Witch is building up to this moment in which she becomes one, right? Like, at the end. And, and there are a lot of horror movies that feel like this, right? Like, Midsummer would be a really good example of that, right? Where, like, I think Midsummer is horrific. And I would I would say that the opening moments of, of Midsummer are the most horrific parts of that movie, right? Um, but... The movie itself is building towards this climax, right? Of her, of, um, I can't remember the name, Florence Pugh's character making this horrendous decision to burn her boyfriend alive, right? To, like, which is like, it is framed in the story, or it is framed sort of diegetically as a good momentous decision she reaches closure and absolution and you know and and she finds kind of acceptance and community in it right but in a true sense she is literally killing someone right like she is ordering this man's death that he does not deserve and i think like that's kind of like the horror of it right um is you know how kind of over the course of this um this sort of trip that they take to, you know, this this festival, uh, she makes this like really fucked up decision, right? Um, and and it's the same sort of thing I feel like in in the witch. And I'm not enough of a horror movie guy to know whether or not there are more horror like things that follow in that same vein, right? Um, but you know, maybe they like maybe that's kind of becoming the new normal with how some of these um with how some of these horror movies are sort of approached right yeah i mean part of so i haven't seen midsummer so i can't comment on that directly but um some of the thing some of the thing that bothers me about this is this is i think kind of like 
one of these, a, a, a common trope that kind of, just kind of bothers me on face is like, it doesn't seem to me like, especially, especially in the witch that like, there was any particular reason for Thomason to join the witches. Like on the one, it's not like they are like a constant source of temptation that she eventually gives into. There's kind of like ambiently there. It's not like, you know, they're like, they have actively caused all of these problems in her life, right? Like, the yep. inciting incident is a witch steals her baby brother and then eats it, right? Like, um, and, you know, maybe she's not directly aware that she ate the baby, but, like, that's not like, you know, it. for all of the flaws of all of the characters, it is not like you can say that, like, that was a thing that deserved to happen to any of them, right? Like, yep. the baby, like, you know, yes, maybe they were kind of shitty, but, like, they, you know... I don't even, like, it's not even, like, frame, like, you know, they encroached on the witch's lands, right? The witches happen to live, or this particular witch happens to live in a forest next to the land that they have staked out, right? Like, it just feels kind of, like, you know, weird to then immediately go, like, well, I guess I got nothing else going on. I'm going to go join the coven, right? Like, um, and I, I, th I and it, it Again, like th these are problems that I see in other horror movies that felt they felt particularly egregious in the witch. Uh, to your point, though, like I think it's a well-made film. I think it's it's worth watching. I just, you know, thought that like they, these these are problems I typically have with like horror horror style films, right? Like, do you do you have like a favorite horror movie? Like, what is your favorite horror movie? Um, so I'm not big into horror movies, and I guess I'd have to say The Lighthouse, just because I found it weird but interesting, and I don't think it's like. You know, I would watch, like, it was interesting enough that I want to watch it again. I've only seen it once. But at the time, I was kind of like, this is more weird than it is good. But it, it did stick in my brain. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to think, what would my favorite horror movie be? I am also not a horror movie person. Um, which is like, why, like, I don't even know why I ended up seeing Midsummer, Um, but... I, I, you know, like I did and, and now it is like, I do think that that movie is really good, even though I have to say the thing about Midsummer is that it is so, don't ever read what Ari Aster, the, the director said about it. Cause it's super dumb. Uh, <laughs> he's kind of a dipshit. Yeah. I don't know. Like what would my favorite horror movie be? Like, I, 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 I like, I'd say get out was pretty good. Like, like that's pretty up there for me. Um, yeah. Like I, I've seen the three Jordan Peele films and the second one, us i thought was whatever like um i saw somebody say that like jordan peele's at his best when things like don't make like it's kind of like cart like clown world logic and it doesn't try to explain it like they try to i think explain a little too much in us um and in his third movie which is i forget what it's called but it's the the new one that just came out um a couple months ago uh, uh nope nope yeah like I enjoyed that movie, but it also stopped being a horror movie pretty quickly. It was like became more of kind of like an adventure movie with like horror elements, uh, or you know, like an action action's a little too strong. But like, you know, it's like them defeating a goal, and you know, it becomes less about scariness and more about kind of like execution of their plan. And they do it right, like they, you know, it's got a relatively happy ending for what it is. Um, spoilers for Nope. Sorry. Um, but like I think I think it also like you know I think it went outside of the bounds of horror pretty quickly, um, and I enjoyed it. But like I, I don't know if I can evaluate it on, on that on that lens. Um, does that give you enough time yeah. to think of an answer? 
Yeah, I, I'm just looking. I'm like just looking at some of like these best of lists, right? Like, there's stuff like The Shining. I like The Shining. I thought The Shining is very good, but I also wasn't all that scared of The Shining in a way. Like, I think, uh, the, like, weirdly, The Shining was maybe too much of like uh, an academic movie for me to like actually kind of get involved in like the the raw sort of horror of it. Um, and then I'm looking at some other stuff, right? You know, you have like Scream. Which I think Scream is an important horror movie um, because it sort of de it sort of it's kind of like a straight faced satire in a way. Um, you know, like Scream understands the genre that it is in, and therefore it has some like interesting stuff. It's kind of like if Dewey Cox was played straight. I'm sorry, if Walk Hard um, was was played straight rather than kind of being. Um, uh, played, for you know, laughs. like, like for, yeah, like played for laughs, but I don't know if any of those like really hit me on like the, this is a movie where I, I wanted to be spooked and I watched it and I was spooked and therefore it was good. I think maybe the best one I can think of on that level is the first Saw movie. Um, have you ever seen that movie? No. The Saw franchise is ridiculous and it gets like kind of crazy and fucked up but the very first one i i thought was just really good it was just like a really good straightforward by the book horror movie right um i don't know there's also some in here that i would like i would contest right like i don't think silence of the lambs qualifies as, as a horror movie uh if it did it would be the best of them but like I, yeah I, it's like, more of a thriller right like yeah 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 because like by that standard i think a lot of like david fincher movies would be horror movies mm. right you know is um is girl with the dragon tattoo a horror movie obviously not the social network a horror movie obviously not right um they the, the, like those are the movies that are all sort of like filmed alongside silence of the lambs though silence of the lambs is is like pretty close. Um, I've also seen some of those. Um, uh, like there, like I, I like some of the classics. You know, I've obviously seen Friday the Thirteenth, the original Halloween. The original Halloween fucked me up when I was like a little kid. I saw that when I was, and then Chucky also when I was a little kid. I saw that, but I feel like all of those are a little too kind of like campy. Do you know what I mean? To like actually yeah. be kind of horrific or horrifying. Yeah. So like I saw Drag Me to Hell in high school. Um, in in so we we had this thing where like. The local theater. If you had a if you had a cable subscription with the local provider, you got free tickets every Tuesday. Um, and so that that summer, I saw basically every movie, and that was the only reason I went and saw Drag Me to Hell, which is a Sam Raimi film. And I understand now that it was probably this, it was campy on purpose, but I laughed so hard at what was ostensibly supposed to be a horror movie, and I enjoyed like it was one of the best movies I saw that summer. But like for what I thought was like the wrong reasons, and like. Even if you're attempting to intentionally do it that way, right? Which is fair, right? Like I've also seen, um, oh, Evil Dead. Um, I haven't been particularly scary, but I enjoyed the campiness aspects of it. But like, I feel like I'm going to that for a different thing. Um, to that point, though, I thought while we were talking, I thought of um, uh, color, the color out of space. I really enjoyed, it, and it really fucked me up. Um, I know that it's not like a super well, um, super, uh, um. Uh, what's it called? A super well-loved movie. I, th I think it got a lot of mixed reviews, but like it really, um, I it, it really I really enjoyed it. It's got Nicolas Cage as as, yep. as one of the leads. The uh, one that I want to go to bat for, but I don't think I'm brave enough to stake out this position is Prometheus. I think as a science fiction horror movie, Prometheus is probably. I mean, I, I guess I will stake out this claim. I like Prometheus a lot. I think Prometheus is a really like like 
uh, what, what about like the it, classic, like Alien? Okay, so I also really like Alien. The, I, I just like Prometheus more. Okay, I think Prometheus like. You know, this is this is kind of a standing on sh like the shoulders of giants thing. I love Alien, and I think Alien is really is really smart. I've actually seen Alien in the theater, um, and it works like gangbusters. It works like gangbusters in an actual live movie theater. Um, but the thing I like about Prometheus is just like the stuff with like there's all of this stuff going on with sort of like David, right? You know, like this robot who is um, who is kind of like on this expedition, all this other sort of stuff going on with this idea that like the creators of life on the planet earth are these malevolent, horrific beings. And that by going and opening, you know, kind of opening the, the tomb to, to try and learn about our creators, right. Uh, it inflicts this unspeakable horror on just absolutely everyone. I like, I, that's the stuff that I, that I really love about Prometheus, but I also think Prometheus doesn't work ooh, excuse me prometheus doesn't work on a lot of levels uh people people famously kind of hate this movie and i think i think they're they're missing the forest for the trees it doesn't have to be perfect to, to be cool and fun um but i think yeah maybe that's the that's the claim i would stake is that prometheus is my favorite uh is my favorite horror movie do you, you have other pieces of horror media that you uh that you want to highlight um, mm, that's a good question. Uh, other pieces of horror movie or horror media I want to highlight. I watched a little bit of American Horror Story and American. Do you know about American Horror Story? It's like antho anthological by season, right? And then the cur the current yeah. season, I think my like my girlfriend watches. I do not. But the current season is like uh, an anthology in itself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the anthology nature of American Horror Story is actually really interesting because the whole series is in continuity with itself. It's just telling different pieces of st the story, like across, you know, the the different aspects of the of the uh, of like the universe or whatever, right? Um, so, for instance, the first season is they call it Murder House. Um, which is just, uh, it's essentially a haunted house show, right? People move into a house together. Um, the house is haunted. There's a bunch of ghosts living in there. The ghosts fuck with the people, right? Um, there's a bunch of like twists and turns or whatever. Um, that stuff I think is interesting. Uh, but I have tried watching the show and I find it pretty unwatchable, unfortunately. Um, I also think that there's some other stuff that's like quasi- horror you know like tv shows right like um i think a lot of true crime sort of hits on this level um the you know the the new jeffrey dahmer movie for or a tv show that everyone that everyone has been kind of talking about there's sort of a moralistic panic about it um at least on Twitter and like the YouTube spheres that I that I have seen, like I think that would probably qualify as like a piece of horror media, but it's also like tapping into people's fascination with like with true crime, right? Uh, which is definitely something that I that I have found really compelling. Uh, in, not in the the traditional aspects, right? Like um, this is kind of when I went deep down the Manhunter rabbit hole and i read the book that the manhunter guys wrote that the the tv show manhunter is based on and then i started like getting really deep into serial killer stuff and like serial killer media um you know like all of that stuff is like on this level i guess i would say um for 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 stuff that is kind of like interesting and cool but i don't really know like where where i come down on any of that really the one that got me the most was and i talked about this i think it was called like Sig oh, it's it's uh it was the Netflix one Signal eighty eight or something like that, um 
now, now, now I have to find it. Signal. What is it called? Oh my god, is Signal not in it? Fuck. Uh, uh, it's it's the tapes one, right? Like somebody's. It's basically like an SCP Foundation type stuff. Um, yeah, maybe it's Archive eighty one. Archive eighty one is what it is. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. No, those are those are some interesting picks. Um, and I, I I'm not familiar with them particularly closely. Um, oh, and I guess I have to say that on the games front, uh, the Five Nights at Freddy's franchise. Uh, which I also think has really interesting and compelling sort of like lore or whatever. And I watch all of the MadPad videos on it, even though I shouldn't and whatever. <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. Um, so, uh, what do I want to say? So like, um, I mean, if we're going to consider like all, like, you know, that true crime level of thing, um, of course the first thing that popped in my mind was true detective, I saw the first and the second season. I liked them well enough. I never went back to it. But True Detective S1, I think, still holds up. Um, uh, I like a lot of Lovecraft stuff. Like, I read some of his works, and I found them pretty chilling. Um, I really like the short story, I Have No Mouth and I'm a Scream. Um, oh, my God. Yes. That one. That's real. That fucked me yeah. up. Yeah. Um, uh, I would say, like, you can Google it and go read it. It is short enough, like, you can do it in an afternoon. Um, and then, like, if you're interested, like, they, there's a game adaptation that's um, that, that the original author, um, Harlan Ellison, I believe is his name, um, was involved with. Um, is apparently very good. Uh, if you don't want to play it, which I did not, Mandalore Gaming did a review on it recently where he goes through the whole thing. Um, so you can go, go look at that. Um, in terms of, like, pieces of media that fucked me up the most, and this is, again, on the true crime thing. Um, uh, I've referenced this before, but Dear Zachary, I guess. <laughs> Um, in terms of just like feeling awful, um, it's one of those things where like, because it's real, it's just that much worse, right? Like, I mean, this is interesting too, cause like, I don't know, does Manchester by the sea count? Cause like that <laughs> fucked me up pretty bad. Like, um, yeah, I will, I definitely get fucked up by like, uh, by in a, in a true crime sense by, uh, by some of that stuff. So, I don't know, maybe it's maybe it's adjacent, right? Yeah, adjacent. Like I there there are YouTubers who focus on this, right? Who just do um oh, oh my god, the best one of these, maybe the best piece of horror media I have ever watched is The Terror, which I've talked about, the right. AMC show, right? Um uh Yeah, we talked about the, the HMS loot in the whole the whole Northwest Passage thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. The thing about The Terror that is like so insane is that it also weirdly has it is so dark but it also sort of has a happy ending and i guess i won't spoil what that what that seems like or whatever but it is crazy to me how a show that went that fucking dark also ended up in the like ending in the place that it ended up ending um which i think is neat i guess um yeah, the the terror would definitely be like my my number one pick. Holy shit! <laughs> um, this is actually I think a, a a place where like games can actually do a lot just because like they they draw you into it. Like one of the scariest experiences I ever had was playing Amnesia: The Dark Descent. I didn't finish that mm -hmm. game. Like that was a game that like somebody like in college. Um, do you remember Rob Pissarro? <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. I think he bought it for me and made me play it. Like he like like came down to my apartment. I think I was there. I w maybe I was watching Barry. I watched someone play it for hours on end. I think it was Barry. 
Okay. But it might have been you. <laughs> I don't think it was me because I didn't play it for like like there was one day where like you know he bought it, he made me play, he made me install, he closed my curtains and closed the door, turned off the lights. My roommate Vince came in and we uh, and we played it for a while, and like I got through like I got to the part with like the water monster. And like that, was I like the was end. there. That okay, because th that's where we stopped. I was there for this. Okay, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> and then Barry must have also been there because yeah, he and I have sense. talked about that. Because it's the part with the water that is the worst. The, it's the part with the water that was the that was the most frightening. <laughs> um, the worst part was is like we're like it's this intense atmosphere, right? And yeah. my roommate's cat brushes up against my <laughs> leg, and I almost <laughs> leapt out of my chair. It, it was like. <laughs> It was it was so f fucking like crazy, but yes. Um, apparently, the sequel of Machine Pigs was not very good, but uh, mm. um, also like it's one of those things where like at some point in that game, like it's one of those things where like if the monster catches you, it doesn't look that scary as a monster. So like like the the water monster works great because you can't actually ever see it, right? Like it can't like scare you with with the uh with like the first monster in the house right like you can just kind of like like it stops being scary after it catches you at least that's the way i felt it just kind of becomes an obstacle to, to to fight against but um very scary game um and i think games have the the opportunity to opportunity to do that really well part of it for me though is that like horror is not a thing that i really seek out like self-inflicted fright is not a thing that i find particularly engaging or a thing that I want to engage with most of the time. It's just not my cup of tea. You know, you could like for Halloween, I dressed up as a star Wars character, right? Like I'm not there for like the, the goriness and the spookiness outside of kind of like the cutesiness, cutesiness aspect of that. So, um, yeah, I, it's just like not a thing that, that particularly resonates with me. How, how, do, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I am also on the same on the same sort of wavelength, and I think part of it is that I feel in general like horror uh, is sort of it is sort of asking me for a a shallow experience, right? In a lot of ways, right? Most of the time, I don't want to say horror is 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 about, like the jump scare, right? But it is about the the visceral emotion of being afraid, and there tends not to be all that much else under the surface right sometimes with some movies there are with some tv shows there are there's there's something kind of like deeper and there are these questions of like dread that are you know uh underpinning everything else um but just on a basic on like a basic level when the point of a like when the point of something is to just elicit this one basic core emotion. Um, that just kind of feels a little bit like not what I'm looking for. Yeah. Though I will also get fucked up for days on end if I like watch the wrong horror thing. And I would just like not be able to like, it will just be constantly on my mind and I won't be able to kick it out. So maybe part of it is just like avoiding that feeling. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel that like, you know, talking about like kid stuff, right? Like, there's that courage, like, this is a common thing, the Courage Cowardly Dog episode with, like, the, um, it's like a mummy that's, like, rendered in 3D that fucked a lot of kids up. It definitely fucked me up when I was Oh, yeah, and it's the curse, and it's, like, telling uh, Eustace that he's, like, cursed, and Eustace goes, I don't care. <laughs> King Ramsey, yeah, King Ramsey's curse. Yeah, yeah, just because, like, 
man, I, 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 I it like popped up and like suggested, and like it, the the first video is the uh, is, is ha- like the freeze frame is of this three D modeled thing, which I think also like helped hit the Uncanny Valley, especially at a time when like these models were relatively new. So like that mm-hmm. definitely fucked me up as a kid. Um, uh, but yeah, um, that was weird though. Actually, thinking about it, like Crazy Cowardly Dog is like a children's show that was supposed to, like, it was all, like, horror stories, like, that was all, like, the, you know, varying levels of scariness, but, like, that was the, that was actually weirdly common, because there was, like, um, Are You Afraid of the Dark, and, um, I feel like there was a couple of shows in that, that kind of vein that was, like, that, like, my mom actually didn't watch, let me watch, because I think she was afraid I wouldn't be able to sleep, um, but, like, yeah, seem- that, that seems correct, uh, I definitely remember not sleeping very well, there's an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode where they play, there's like a group of kids playing tag in a cemetery, um, and the main girl and all of her friends are there, but her friends start disappearing, but she always sees them playing tag. She She's like, well, I don't know why they're not going back to their house or whatever, um, but then when she goes to the cemetery at midnight, they all they all play uh, or it's not tag. It's um, what's the Ali Ali Oxen free game? Do you know that game? Uh, is it hide Where and you seek? Call... Yeah, hide and seek. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, and the final thing that you learn, and then the final thing that happens is she's and she's really good at the hide and seek. And then the final thing that happens is she's hiding, but she gets found. Um, and when she gets like and when she gets tagged she's like okay well i'll see you guys tomorrow night and then the person who tags her is like like you where are you going you can't go and she's like what and then she like looks down and her there's her dead body on the ground because when you get caught you die and you are like bound to that cemetery forever all of her friends have been getting like like killed and that destroyed me <laughs> as, as a child just like holy shit Right, like, <laughs> yeah, no, I I totally get that. Weird, weird, weird to me that that was like a popular children's show genre for a yeah. while on um, Nickelodeon, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, <sighs> but yeah. Um, what else do we want to talk about in this Halloween space? Do you have feelings? About- okay. What no. about what about more more contemporary like like outside of horror like what what are like Halloween things that you think like in the same way that we might say oh I have a favorite Christmas movie it's Die Hard because I'm a basic bitch with dumb opinions right what would your favorite Halloween movie be I don't know if I have one like just because like I don't know if I like do like I like when I'm when I'm you know. Th- we, Halloween kind of, like, marks the beginning of, like, the larger holiday season, I guess, right? Like, mm-hmm. I definitely have, like, a favorite Christmas movie. It's A Christmas Story. Um, but, uh, like, I don't know if I, like, care enough about Halloween to have, like, a Halloween... Like, there's no rituals I do for Halloween other than, like, you know, um, uh, eating or, you know, like, uh, you know, eating candy or whatever, right? Like, do you have a, str- like, uh... Do you have a strong opinion on candy corn? Uh, I don't like candy corn, but I don't have a strong opinion on that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, so so uh, a long time ago, uh, Lewis Black did, like, a bit about, like, candy corn being terrible. And I think that helped kickstart, like, this way of, like, people either hate candy corn performatively. Um, and when I say performatively, I don't mean that they don't actually hate it, but, like, they make a point of hating it, like, out loud. Um, or they don't. Um, 
I kind of hated it performatively for a while. I think it really was performatively because I kind of come around and it's like, you know, I don't like eat it by the handful or whatever, but, you know, it's fine. It's candy corn, right? Like, um, I have made candy corn vodka back in college again, and that was, like, an interesting experience. Because, like, most – so this is, this is like, a, a very kind of, like, you know, nerdy brew, you know, like a liquor – like, nerd liquor stuff. Like, you can – Essentially, most things that you're imparting flavor into is um, alcohol and uh, – I don't understand the chemistry fully, but alcohol and fats that, like, share a lot of, like, chemical similarities. And so you can, like, fat wash alcohol, right? Like, one of the common, one, common ones is you can, like, um, wash whiskey with, like, bacon fat and you can infuse some bacon flavor into the whiskey. Um, and that's normally, like, how you do this. But candy corn just kind of, like, dissolves into a sludge in the vodka and just, like, directly flavors it. Because it's not like it's like particularly like, but it turns the vodka orange and it tastes sweet. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, that's a fun thing. But like, that's like, I know I kind of got very far away from your original question there, but I don't really have a favorite Halloween movie. Like maybe The Nightmare Before Christmas because it's the only one I can think of. Yeah, um, The Nightmare Before Christmas would definitely be my answer. Man, are there other like, am I, am I just crazy in thinking that there, there I, are so other So I Halloween haven't movies? seen any of the recent Pixar like spooky ones, right? Like um, there's uh, Coco and maybe the one that came out during the pandemic counts because the guy dies, right? Like the, it's about the blues musician that I never got around to sing. Soul, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the, uh, the actual Halloween series would count. Um, I guess also um, the actual Halloween series would count. What else? What else would count? Uh, yeah. Hocus Pocus was would count would maybe be like the famous one. Uh, yeah. Um, do, do oh, there's like Introduction to Practical Magic. These are like movies that like like my my girlfriend frankly is. Oh, Hubie Halloween! I watched that because um I wanted to watch something terrible and I did and it was like not worth it. Don't do that. Hubie <laughs> Halloween is the worst. Um. They've got Donnie Darko on here. I guess that counts. Yeah, like Beetlejuice is 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 in here. The Adams Family. There's some. There's definitely some stuff. I feel like maybe the the really one that matters is um, uh, like the only one that matters is probably A Nightmare Before Christmas, right? Like that is actually dealing with like the mechanics of Halloween in a in a real uh kind of kind of compelling way. Yeah. Yeah. Everything else is just kind of like a. A, a horror movie that like maybe you watch because it's spooky yeah or like it is it has some like light spooky elements right like like the adams family right yeah um which you know is basically just a comedy but there's like a little bit of spook in there for you in case it matters um just it's, to kind of like flavor flavor the whole thing it's the great pumpkin charlie brown from 1966 <laughs> that's a good one that's a real one right um yeah i wonder why that is like i guess i i get it in the sense of christmas makes sense because everybody has time off so you can make movies about christmas and like the whole family can go see it together make a bunch of money on that i but like the same thing has isn't really true for a lot of other it's kind of weird that also like christmas is a very um uh like religious holiday whereas something like halloween is much more um yeah i mean but uh but secular christmas christmas is like in like you know 
like technically religious, but like almost aside from the two other major Semitic religions, right? Like Judaism and Islam, basically Christmas as like a secular holiday has been adopted by nearly everybody in America, right? True. Like, yeah. Um, like there are family, like all sorts of families that will celebrate it, even though they, you know, it's, it's not part of their, their religious tradition. Um, and I think everybody understands the mechanics of Christmas, even if they, they aren't practitioners, right? Yeah. If I, you know, like if I'm a, you know, I, I have plenty of Jewish friends, right, um, who would not be weirded out by, like, the particular lore surrounding Santa Claus, for instance, right? Yeah. Everybody kind of implicitly understands that um, through, on a cultural level, which is kind of neat. Yeah, yeah, through culture, because it's like, you know, the, what, the, the actual truths of St. Nicholas are, like, known by very few and also highly in dispute and also, like, not really relevant to like yep. what Santa Claus is, right? Like, I guess I guess part of it too is just like because Halloween's about spookiness. Like, I guess horror movies like kind of slot into that without having to particularly be about Halloween, right? Like, um, it's not like it's not like there's a lot of like mysticism around Halloween, right? Like, you know, Santa Claus is like a you know a mythical figure that is the excuse for why presents appear one night a year. Right, like mm -hmm. Halloween, like trick or treat, like probably has some like, you know, some mythological root, but it's not like people, uh, you know, it's it's not like people are invoking that when you're going around and get candy. It's not like when you go trick or treat, you are, you know, doing like you're not constantly doing the motion that like, you know, whatever historical root caused people to compel you to like give you sweets on Halloween, right? It's just kind of like. A thing you do so it's not like there's a lot of mythology to 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 invoke and explain and like write films around right yeah. like um it's not like if you know jack skellington like you know couldn't you know you know was prevented from participating in halloween that like the candy would stop flowing or whatever right like that that, that there's no assumed mythological element um in place with that so i i have to imagine that's part of it um uh this list also has Young Frankenstein on it, which I think is a questionable addition to... Uh... Yeah, I also think there's a million, like, like ensemble pieces. In the same way that, like, Christmas, you really just have Santa Claus as, like, this core uniting factor, right? But Halloween, there's, like, a million different things you can do with that, right? Because you have, like, um, the universal monsters as kind of this ensemble, any of whom can be kind of focused on, right? Dracula, Frankenstein... Uh, you know, like mummies, whatever, right? Like you can do a million different things with any of those uh, pieces of the puzzle. Um, and and I feel like that probably is, is something else that kind of like hurts it from becoming this this cultural touchstone, right? In a weird way, I actually, I guess I would say it is a cultu cultural touchstone in something like TV, right? Like Community has Halloween episodes. The Simpsons has the Treehouse of Horror episodes, which by the way are great horror media um, in and of themselves, right? Um but, like, it's harder to pull that off in sort of movie form, I guess. Um, just because, like, there's – these – those individual pieces are not necessarily tied to the event itself. The event itself draws from those individual pieces. I, I actually you know think I mean? that's, that's a really good point. It seems like the, the kind of big kind of piece of Halloween media are an excuse to throw your otherwise – non-horror characters into a horror situation or a jokey horror situation. 
Um, yep. Like that. That's all the enduring Halloween media, right? Like you said, Treehouse of Horror, community episodes. I'm sure South Park has episodes, right? Like um, any any kind of like of your sitcoms, right? Like gets an episode with Halloween and a Halloween themed episode, and that, that that's kind of the big the big lasting impression. Like that that also happens for other holidays. Um, for uh, Sometimes for for these shows, but I think Halloween's the big one besides Christmas, right? Like you you get a Christmas mm-hmm. episode, but like you don't get a lot of Easter episodes. Like Easter's a little bit more distinctly religious than Christmas is, even though it's been broadly secularized. But you don't have like you know the same civic participation in uh, Easter that you do as as in Christmas. Um, Maybe I would make uh, I would make an argument around Thanksgiving. You got, but there's a bunch of like C tier holidays. I mean, I wouldn't even call them C tier in a normal sense, but in like a in like a media sense, right? Thanksgiving, you'll you'll see some stuff sometimes. Um, Fourth of July is maybe another good one. Yeah. It's just kind of um, you know like a thing that people will celebrate. Valentine's Day is a good one. Um, there's like a, there's a bunch of stuff that you could probably point to, but just absolutely nothing comes even close to I feel like Christmas, right? Um, and then Halloween, I think. I don't know. It draws from it, but like it doesn't. It doesn't source it in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I also of all of those, I think Halloween internationalizes best, like second best to to Christmas, right? Like, I know it's not like a super big holiday other places, but at least it does exist other places. Where it's Thanksgiving and Fourth of July are distinctly American, right? Yeah. No. Uh, I mean, Halloween is a big. It's a weirdly big holiday in Japan, right? Um, same thing with Christmas, which I always found. To be to be very funny, but I think that's because a lot of you know like j- like Japanese people absorb American culture very yeah. like you know astutely or whatever, so they have like adopted you know pieces of pieces of these things. Um, Hoorah so. for American cultural hegemony! Yeah, I, yeah, I guess so, right? <laughs> that, that'll be like you know when when you know Japan starts celebrating Thanksgiving, which you know is like. The most American holiday. Like, how is, what do you think is more American, 4th of July or, or Thanksgiving? I think 4th of July is more. Well, man, that's actually kind of a good point. I think of the two. In a weird way, I actually think Christmas is the is the answer, but, like, it's sort of the answer by default, right? Because it is the, the particularly American version of Christmas that gets exported, and it gets exported more than anything else so it's kind of just like it's like it's like saying coca-cola is like america's favorite soda well it's just like yeah well it's it's ubiquitous everybody drinks yeah but i I think you can also you you can trace christmas back right like you know the classic christmas story is a christmas carol which is english right like it's, it's it is it is british in its in its origin and sensibility right like um and so i i i get that but i i think like you know like Thanksgiving and Fourth of July, I think a little bit more traceable directly. I think think Thanksgiving has like a bigger opportunity to. I don't know if that's true either. Right? There's a bunch of different independent states around the world, right? Because you know Canadians also have a Thanksgiving. It's a month before ours, um, but yep. it mostly follows the same form. Um, but yeah, there are there are different independent days. Uh, that's true, right? Um, Kind of like depending on depending on like what what country you're in and and what they're doing sort of at the time. Um, we also celebrate yeah, other people's Independence Days that like you know like Cinco de Mayo. That's like not like even a real Mexican thing. It's like uh, we we'd like to eat Mexican food and get drunk. Um, is that is that actually independent? I thought it was the site of like a big battle. Is that really it's the, the site of a big day? battle? But it, like I think it often gets sold as like Mexican Independence Day. 
uh, the anniversary of Mexico's victory over the Second French Empire, the Battle of Puebla. Okay, yeah, okay, that's the part that I knew. But uh, yeah, I, okay, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> it's more popular in the United States yeah. than Mexico. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's uh, so yeah. Apparently, Mexican Independence Day is September sixteenth. Um, but yeah, I this this feels like one of those weird, like kitschy things that like. I, don't, I wonder, like, how Cinco de Mayo started as, like, an American... Like, obviously, like, you know, Cinco de Mayo and St. Patrick's Day are, like, Americanized cultural heritage uh, celebrations, right? Like, mm -hmm. it, you can make the same argument, I guess, for uh, Columbus Day, which is, like, an Italian-American heritage celebration, even though it's, like... Ooh, big yikes, right? Yeah, Columbus Day, right? <laughs> yeah, and, but, like, you know, like, you know, as smarter people than me have pointed out, like, it was created primarily not because anybody particularly cared about Christopher Columbus. It's just, like a way to, like, for Italian-Americans to celebrate their heritage at a time where they yep. were, like, pretty heavily, like, I mean, they were discriminated against, just, like, not in the same kind of sense as, as you would for, for other groups. Um, I think the same thing happened. Yeah, it's interesting Patrick. because, like, the, there are there are other huge kind of like immigrant just like diasporas right that have that have kind of come into the United States, um, but I feel like it's it is a weird privilege to walk away with a with like a holiday right like you know plenty of Germans um, and Eastern European uh, like Slavic folks would end up immigrating into into the U S but it's not like we have you know like Ukrainian or German holidays on the calendar in the same way that we do have for Irish and Italian, right? Um, St. Patrick's Day and, uh, yeah, and Mexican, right? Um, the Mexican one I also think is funny because, like, it has this thing of uh, Hispanic – Hispanics are a huge subgroup. But, like, they are made up of many different nationalities, obviously, right? right? You know, like, there's a difference between Colombians and, you know, Guatemalans Cubans. and Mexicans and, you know, Puerto Ricans or whatever. But, like, everyone kind of gets lumped into Cinco de Mayo in a weird way because, like, <laughs> white people don't have a great sense for those for those differences. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I wonder how – yeah, I, I, I guess that, that, that that's fairly true. But it's also kind of like, you know – it's it's a little bit more of an organic holiday than like like you know, um, I think it's like halfway. Oh, like Kwanzaa, right? No, no, no. You know? I, I was like so like halfway through September to halfway through October is, uh, it's like Hispanic Hispanic American Heritage Month or something like that. But like you know, and like that gets like you know, nodded at by like corporate stuff. But like, it's not like a thing that people like particular like i'm sure there are people who like it's a thing that gets celebrated within like its own kind of like its own community as like a mm. thing of recognizing but it's not like a thing that like you go out and celebrate in the same way that like columbus day isn't actually like a particular celebration of italian american heritage right like the day you get off it's you know at the risk of being maybe a little a little bit insensitive like juneteenth is also this way right and mlk junior day right it's not like it's not like you go you know celebrate like Black cultural foods, uh, which I'm using because I don't want to say anything in specific. <laughs> um, <laughs> like it's it's not it's not like you go like you know it's not like you celebrate like like you know you go do yeah it. it's not it's not like everybody goes out to you know Buca de Beppo on yeah on Columbus Day, Day yeah. right yes okay but, that makes sense but everyone does go weirdly drinking on <laughs> on St Patrick's, Patrick's Day. Day yeah. Um, and yeah. like, or like, you know, my family makes corned beef and cabbage. We're not uh, uh, Irish at all. We're maybe mm -hmm. a little bit like 
British, right? Which is like, you know, not the thing. You know, my my grandfather, my great grandfather famously would go to the St. Patrick's Day parades wearing an orange tie just to pick fights. He was not, he was an Italian Catholic and he just wanted to pick fights with some fucking Irishman, right? <laughs> like, um, which is, you know, you know it, there's a whole thing there too, right? Like with like the, the troubles and whatnot. Um, <laughs> um, but like, and like similarly, like Cinco de Mayo, everybody goes gets Mexican food for like, you know, it's not like you can get Mexican food any other day of the week. It's fairly popular, right? Like, I don't know. It's, it's it's weird and interesting, and I don't know. You know, you know what? Honestly, is another angle of this that I think is that I think is kind of neat is that Chinese New Year. I feel like has also sort of found its way into into this whole sort of like rotation, and the reason yeah. why is video games, right? Oh, um, yeah. I think one of the things about uh, you know like about WoW, right? Like, I, like there's a lot about WoW that ha- that is that is kind of this cornerstone of video game sort of history, right? Um, the reason that uncommons are green you know rares are blue epics are purple legendaries are orange is because like that got codified right in like in like world of warcraft and i think that you know even in all of these other systems that have tried to break away from that like there's just something about that that inbuilt color coding that all of these other games that aren't even you know like blizzard games right kind of picked up on alongside plenty of other terms right um you know the 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 tank healer um damage kind of like dps team yeah Yeah, it's like something that got really codified in wow etc and i think one of the other pieces of things that got really codified in wow are the in-game holidays right they made those in-game holidays you know you have hallow's eve um you have brew fest you have uh um god what's the christmas one called whatever there's one for christmas um and one of the and one of the 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 holidays that they do is um lunar new year yeah, Lunar New Year, right? Yeah. Which is which is essentially Chinese New Year. Well, right? I mean, L- and- L- Lunar New Year is, all, is 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 the generic version of that, right? Because it's like, it's like that's <clears> the <throat> thing shared between a lot of East Asian cultures is is, is the Lunar New Year. Oh, okay. Well, so the thing that is, and that's what it's called in WoW, though, right? Like it is, the, yeah, something like or Lunar Festival. I think is what it's called. Oh, yeah, it's Lunar Festival, right? Yes, it's the Lunar Festival. Um, and I think that other games have also picked up on that sort of event tying. And I feel like um, I think it's a little you little know, strong oh, to say that that's a WoW created thing. But like, I, I take your point, right? But, well, I, I'm not saying it's necessarily like a WoW created thing. I just think WoW codified a lot of this stuff because it was such a huge game in the mid aughts or whatever. And then games that came after it, League of Legends, for instance, has Lunar New Year stuff going, like you know, like yeah. like event skins, right? Overwatch has the same sort of thing. These event skins that are that are tied into uh, Lunar New Year, and I think part of that is is because these are global properties, right? Um, yeah, and, because you know, the Chinese market a, is enormous. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so well, the Asian you know, market the, in general is enormous. Yeah. And I also think that it comes in the middle of, you know, it's it's January, February, right? Um, which is sort of a dead zone, right? There really isn't all that much going on, right? And so it's a pretty easy holiday to sort of slot into a calendar schedule um, in order to center an event around, in order to sell some skins or whatever you're gonna or whatever you're gonna fucking do. Um, but I feel like that is entirely driven by video games. I don't think I would know anything about Chinese New Year um, or or Lunar New Year stuff, right? Um, any of the, sort of the the iconography that is associated with it. If I didn't have this opportunity. Um, that that's presented by the games that I play to engage with it, right? Which is which is kind of a I don't know. That's just like an interesting thing. Yeah. No, I think I think I agree. Um, I also think that like 
don't know. It's interesting because like the you know the big the the other big group, this Southeast Asian group, um, it's like Diwali was recently, and so like I it thought occurs to you like maybe we get to a point where like the cultural traditions of Diwali like merge with Halloween. I could see that happening um, at some level. Although it, 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 it's, you know, it's not like Diwali's like about scariness or whatever, but like Halloween is ultimately a harvest festival, right? Mm. Like, um, but yeah, I mean, there something like that has happened a little bit with Dia de los Muertos, right? You know, Day of the yeah. Dead, right? Where that iconography, um, it's obviously the Day of the Dead is November first, so, or so it is the day after Halloween, right? Um, so yeah, like I, I think I could probably. Like, we could see some of that. I, I almost sort of, like, wonder if we will... Like, Dia de los Muertos has definitely merged itself into Halloween, right? Yeah. Like, like that, you know, you, you get all that stuff, like, all those decorations are now part of the Halloween canon, as it were. Yeah, and I just sort of wonder if there's, like, a bunch of... If, if like, the future version of holidays includes more of these sort of hybridized... Um, uh, you know, pieces pieces of the puzzle. The thing that, that's interesting to me about all of this, to be honest, is that the branding of it isn't controlled by anybody, right? Whereas, like, most branding that we understand is controlled by corporations, right? You know, it is, it is people who are managing a brand. No one is managing the brand of Halloween. No one is managing the brand of Santa Claus, right? But, like, the brand of Santa Claus is sort of this thought virus that permeates culture just because it permeates culture, right? Um, which is which is just like interesting and and like and kind of neat to think about, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, part part of it is that like um, because these are all like myths, right? It's all like open open. You know, it's it's not copywritten, right? So you can't really like control it in in, in that kind of way. So it's it's accessible to to everybody. Um, I do think that there are definitely things that, like, corporations have, like, contributed towards. I, like, they're, like, pieces of mythos that, that get put in, right? Like, this fucking elf on the shelf thing, which I think is bullshit, is, like, now, like, I think it's a thing that people do, right? Like, or, like, elf as part of, like, the movie canon, which is also not a movie that I particularly enjoyed uh, as a Christmas movie canon. So, like, you, you get, like, insertions of this into, like, the I fucking can. hate that movie. Because the elf's name is Buddy. <laughs> yeah, right. Right, right. <laughs> it's the only reason. <laughs> uh, but we've gotten pretty far away from Halloween. Is there any yeah, other... I don't really know where this is going. I, I hope everyone has enjoyed our cultural musics on Halloween. This is what we get when neither of us play enough Vicky 3 to uh, to, to do a good review yeah. of, <laughs> of, that, yeah, of that game. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so... Uh, yeah, uh, we've almost filled an hour with this, I guess. Uh, <laughs> well, do you want to do you want to talk about weeks? Yeah, let's let's go for it. How was uh, how was your week? I guess the thing that I want to talk about that happened this week that was interesting um, was uh, oh well, so the mix next happened. I don't oh, know. Right, I don't yeah. know how much I want to talk about that. That was huge. I I did tell everybody about this. We announced a million things, six games. It, it's kind of crazy because I um. I sort of hosted, it's sort of like a Devolver Digital, um, you know, like event or whatever, right? Like like a little tiny Nintendo Direct, right? Like hosted by me. But we essentially kind of bundled a bunch of announcements about about our titles into, um, into this 15-minute segment provided by The Mix, which is, you know, the Media Indie Exchange. It's just like a... Like a, a, a an event where a bunch of indies kind of get together. This is the thing with indies that here, here's one of the things about indies that people like Donkey 
don't understand. But I but I want to but I want to break it down so that so that it makes it makes sense. I, I've said in the past that indies are built on base hits, right? You know, you don't you, you don't make a successful indie by blowing out of the by blowing out of the water. Yes, obviously we would say Undertale, right? Bastion, these these are like huge. I, we can name a million of these. Celeste, whatever. These are huge, gigantic indie games. Hollow Knight that have broken down, made, sold millions and millions of copies. Grand Slam games, right? But if you are a person making an indie game, that doesn't actually matter, right? You don't have to make Undertale in order to in order to kind of like survive in the business of indies. And the reason is, is your overhead is small. When you are making an indie, you have five people on your roster, right? The amount of overhead that you have to keep those people sort of fed, right? Um, and to make back the money that you invest into making the game is re pretty low. And all you really need to do is just get a nice base hit. If you sell whatever, you know, 50,000 copies, right? That's that's really good. You you made you probably made a really healthy profit and it's not because selling 50,000 copies is a lot. If Marvel's Avengers by Square Enix sold 50,000 copies, they would have gone bankrupt. That company would have gone out of business, right? Um it's because, you know, your overhead is so low, you can kind of get away, you can kind of like get away with that, right? And one of the pieces of that is that you, there are a lot of reasons that indies are going to need to band together in order to collectively sort of raise the water level, right? I do not have enough manpower or budget in order to stake a real claim in the brains of gamers, right? To come play my to come play my indie game, right? That's a that is a tough thing to do just because part of what I'm looking to do is keep my overhead low. But if I can find good opportunities at PAX or at E3 or whatever else to sort of um group myself together and present indies as a big unit to people, right? That's a really valuable thing. And that's what the and that's kind of what the mix does. Um and that's what we ended up doing. Obviously as an indie game publisher, we have a bunch of indies sort of in our roster. We have a bunch of games coming up. Um you know, we announced the new Grime update, right, which is a free, you know, it's the free update uh with like new weapons, new enemies, new bosses, right, new abilities, right, a whole new section of the game. We announced Card Game Island, right, which is a is another um it's a it's a, like a deck building roguelike piece where you actually play the card game that is inside of the game of war uh, inside of the game of cardboard kings right um the the new dark side detective case dropped at the mix next uh uh and and then we announced like the rain world release date right uh and then some other stuff was in there um and i just think i don't know that's all that's all i want to talk about i just think that's neat i think that that's interesting also lou says in the chat but donkey is a gamer surely he understands everything exactly you know you got me <laughs> that's true <laughs> why didn't we just sign undertale that <laughs> why didn't i sign don't starve what a fool i was yeah why didn't you sign Hollow Knight, despite the fact that it was kickstarted to hell and back before, like, yeah, year? before, yeah, it was kickstarted in 2013, four years before it came out, and even then, that Kickstarter wasn't even like insane. The thing that really made Hollow Knight go crazy was its Switch port, which came out in 2019. Whatever, uh, well, who cares? The, by the way, that Kickstarter <laughs> isn't done yet because um, Silk Song is a, the promised DLC that got turned into a full standalone game. So, like, everybody who backed Hollow Knight. Get Silk Song for free whenever it comes out, whenever that is. Um, but then, like, Team Cherry is like three or four people, so like they don't have to worry about yeah. like you know 
So the shit, and they also cuts. don't have a publisher, right? Yeah. Like that's the other thing, right? Like, oh yes, let's 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 go hard for for indie games for these games like Hades and Hollow Knight, both of which don't have publishers, right? So so like just just so people at home know, right? Like as a correct me if I'm wrong, but as a publisher, you provide one of two or publishers in general provide one of two things: they provide funding that is missing, or they provide marketing resources to people that don't have it, right? Hades, like anything by Supergiant and anything by, and you know, and like the Hollow Knight don't need either of those. They have all of their money and they have all of the branch that they could ever fucking need, right? Like, yep. They don't that is literally, that, like, yeah. It, it is technically more than that, right? Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of the time, one of the things that we do is we provide like ports, right? Like we will port people's games to other platforms, which is not something that every team has the capability to do. Um, you know, uh, obviously we we provide a lot of like marketing, we provide a lot of support efforts. Um, you know, the, the idea of me as a community manager is like, I'm the person who is communicating with a group of fans about this because I professionally know how to talk to, to a group of fans, right? Um, you know, like making trailers or whatever. QA is a big one, right? Like we have internal QA staff, so if you need to QA an update, to you know to your game you can send it to us and we can like provide that right like these are all of the sort of the um i would call this manpower services right um that that an indie game publisher offers that we sort of offer right um the opposite end of the spectrum is just raw cash and this is sort of what you see a lot of a lot of companies will have an indie game publishing label to them right uh so for instance square enix published um uh power what is it? Power Washer Simulator, right? They didn't develop that game, but they did publish it, right? Um, I doubt that Square Enix gave them a lot of resources when it came to manpower in terms of like marketing and stuff like that. There's there's a bunch of publishers out there who will essentially just write you a blank check. And there's a lot of question for our, as an indie company or as an indie uh, developer, if I want to sign with a publisher, do I want someone who will offer me sort of expertise and services in these places that I am not an expert, right? Um, or do I want money? Do I just want money? If the answer is I just want money, I'm probably going to sign with someone who is going to just foot the bill for half a million dollars, right, to, to pay my development costs, right? Um, if the answer is I'm looking for, you know, uh, sort of kind of like a manpower partner, you're probably going to go with someone like us, like Akupara Games, um, or really any of the other indie, indie, indie publishers that are like in the indie houses would be a good example. Um, you know, so for instance... Uh, Raw Fury, um, they're, they're bigger than us, but, you know, whatever. Raw Fury, those awesome guys, uh, Togu Productions, right? Like, the, like, there are a bunch of Neon Doctrine, right? Like, these are all a bunch of indie game publishing labels um, who can offer sort of that that expertise and manpower that, that you will need. I remember helping an indie developer once. We gave them lots of money and resources, then rebanded their game over and over until it never came out. Good times. Holy shit. That's... That that's triggering. <laughs> sounds sounds like <clears throat> a blast. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. Um, yeah, that ma that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. Glad it went well for you. Congratulations. If I, if I didn't. Yeah, say it did go. It did go very well. I felt really bad uh, because we the the viewership sort of dropped when our showcase was over. Our showcase was was. Uh, the first one, and we had a bunch of people. We had more people than in the mixed stream, and then our showcase ended, and it 
got cut in half uh, because so many people. The Rain World community is huge. There are so many people in the Rain World community that really wanted to to come see what we were what we were debuting for for Rain World, which is maybe. Maybe I want to do an episode on Rain World too. I talked about doing an episode on Astrea. I think it would be neat to do an episode on on Rain World because the more I learn about that game, the more interested I become in it. Right? Like, so so is that game out? And this is, you announced like a PC release date or something, or or what's what's the is, is did I have okay? A- yeah. So Rain World was published in 2017 by Adult Swim, right? It was maybe one of their biggest hits uh, in terms of just, you know, like in terms of games. Um, the developer is Video Cults, who are just like the coolest, like, <laughs> they, they are the coolest developers I have ever met in my life. Um, and they are working on some, some like, really sweet stuff. And, uh, and basically, when Adult Swim games went under, um, Adult Swim games stopped publishing, you know, games. Basically, we picked up rain world from them we sort of bought the contract to rain world so that we could assume uh becoming publisher for rain world and um we ended up uh creating a whole dlc called downpour which basically took the most popular mods that people had made for the game brought those modders into like the development and then are now like codifying those mods to like rain world and stuff it's sort of like taking it's not quite take it, it's obviously more complicated than this but it's, it's kind of like taking those mods gussying them up and making them dlc right this is what this is what rain world downpour is and then we announced the downpour release date for pcs which is january 19th um this community like the community is huge and they kind of haven't had a lot of stuff right adult swim never really did anything else with rain world after it was out they kind of put out the game you know there were a couple of patches a couple of ports um but otherwise, you know, like that was kind of that was kind of the end of Rain World. Uh, but you know, there was just this like huge, huge community there. Still is this huge, huge community, um, and and so yeah. So Rain World is playable right now, and I have yet to beat it. And I have been told it is harder than Grime. There, there, there's a big argument internally at Occupy. Maybe like one day I will try and convince someone to come to the, the podcast and we can actually like hash this out in real time. Uh, what is the hardest Akupara game? Is it the contenders are grime? Cause it's obviously, you know, it's a souls like very technical, you know, you got to get really good, uh, you know, kind of at these souls like bosses with lots of, you know, dodging and parrying that kind of stuff. Is it spinch? Famously, incredibly difficult precision platformer, right? Um, one of the, most difficult precision platformers that a lot of people have have played according to the frustrating comments that I used to read uh, all over the Steam forums about about Spinch. Um, Astrea, which is not out yet, but I would say my pick has always been Astrea. I think Astrea is the hardest, and the reason why is because I always lose. <laughs> it, is, it is just really, really hard to get a like a really solid run um, for a roguelike. And this is part of what you know. I'm sure we will talk about when we talk about uh, when we talk about Astrea. Like, what percentage? You know, like what percentage of the time should you win a roguelike? Like, should you get a winning run in a, in a roguelike? I think that's a really compelling question. And you can go a lot of different ways with that. Um, and then the final one is Rain World. And Rain World is a game where it's kind of a, it's kind of like a nature simulator, right? You are playing this creature. You're playing a slug cat. You need to eat food before 
rain comes, right, and floods the whole map and you drown, right? So you basically need to eat food and then you need to go hibernate in shelters that are all around, the, that are like all around the world, right? Once you have consumed enough food, you can go to the shelter and, um, and you can pass to, to sort of the next day. Everything respawns, you continue, right? Um, Rain World is a one-hit kill game. If anything ever hits you, you die, right? Um, there's a lot of, uh, there's just like a lot of like quiet mechanics that aren't telegraphed well because you can't, it's, you are an animal, right? You are an animal doing this kind of animalistic predatory kind of day, like, like life cycle, like survival based life cycle. And that, all of that combines to just make like a very like difficult experience. But according to, I don't know, like 20,000 people in the rain world discord, a very rewarding experience. <laughs> so yeah, that's Rain World, I guess. Uh, maybe we can talk more about that in January when, when Downpour comes out. Makes sense. Well, uh, for my part, I also played uh, a, a new game. A little indie game you may not have heard of. It's called Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. It uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, came out on Friday. So I so The like, least indie game maybe of all time. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> there, is, there is ongoing antitrust legislation that, like, or not legislation, antitrust um, uh, action in Europe that is, like, part of the basis for the complaint is that Call of Duty is so unique that it constitutes its own independent market. I won't get into the technicals about that. I would recommend going listening to uh, Hoaglaw over at his YouTube channel if you're interested in the particulars there. But, yes, it is the least in indie game that has ever, that has ever been. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a standard Call of Duty. It's fun. I like to run and shoot fun guns sometimes. I'm shooting fun guns. I make them. I am making people go 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 bye bye with my gun shoots, um, and that is basically all there is to that. If you like Call of Duty, you will like this game. I don't have much more to say about it beyond that. Um, when their new DMZ mode comes out, I think there'll be more to talk about then because that's supposed to be like a Tarkov light type game. Um, Friend okay. of the Cast of Monic is very excited about it. Warzone 2.0 is also coming out soon, so we'll probably end up touching on that. What, at what is the difference between? Tarkov, like, what, like, I do know Tarkov exists, but I don't know what makes it special. Like, so, what, how does Tarkov work? So, the way that Tarkov works, like, the uh, um, Escape from Tarkov, is you kind of, like, enter an area, like, you enter these, these, like, um, basically this kind of, like, war zone, like, uh, not war zones, they're, they're, like, abandoned areas that you're scavenging for stuff in. You're scavenging for guns and loot and ammo, um, and there are other players and you, if you die, you're, you're gone, right? Like, you can't, mm -hmm. like, get your stuff back. I mean, yeah, I think there's ways to ensure it. But, like, part of the thing that makes it compelling is that the gun porn, effectively, is, like, super, super <laughs> hardcore. Like, you can, you can, uh, you can, like, modify every little thing on your guns. And there's just, like, so many different combinations that people really get into. There's also, like, survival elements to it. Like, Monarch was talking about, like, he got really into it. He's talking about, like... Like, getting enough GPUs to farm up enough currency for something, and I don't understand it. But it's, like, a very intense... It's, like, one of these kind of, like... Imagine, like, one of these niche games that, like, people get really into, but it's for, like, shooters. Um, it's also not on Steam. Um, but it was popular enough that apparently the big people are, are taking notice and Call of Duty is doing its own version of it. I don't know what that's going to look like. I have never really gotten into Tarkov, so I can't talk too much about it. But, like... Um, something that's a little bit similar is, as I understand, is Hunt Showdown, where it's not about, like, like, where it's, like, kind of, like, very kind of, like, permadeathy and, like, uh, 
each kind of map is its own kind of thing, but the point isn't necessarily to win. It's to get in, get some stuff, and get out um, and survive. Um, I don't know. Uh, we'll see, I guess. Um, but yeah. Otherwise, I played a little bit of Vicky. We'll probably end up doing a more on it at some point. Um, I had the devastating thing happened to me where like I was playing for a while and uh, I, I was playing Fusilisly trying to incorporate Greater Italy and like the after four hours when I finally so you have to you have to get nationalism as the technology before you could start confederating and I hit it and it just didn't work at that point fairly significant bug hopefully it gets fixed soon I um, and I was playing an Iron Man so I couldn't go back on it I'm not gonna play an Iron Man anymore. I don't know how much it killed it for me. Um, I'm just kind of like at a base level. I thought it was interesting, but I also was finding a harder time to attach it than I was on Crusader Kings. Um, I think part of the thing with uh, with with this game is, is like of all the games I, I have played of this, it is the most sandboxy, right? Like Hearts of Iron, I never got really into, but at the end of the day, you're trying to win World War II, right? Crusader Kings, you're trying to like... Yes, it's technically a sandbox, but you have some objectives, right? You're trying to, like, grow your power base, right? Become more powerful. There's always, like, even if you're not explicitly trying to paint the map, it's always, like, kind of part of it. Um, I haven't played enough EU4 to talk about it. Uh, Stellaris kind of has, like, the traditional 4X game mode. This game really doesn't. You're just kind of, like, doing things as you want to. Maybe you're trying to grow GDP. Maybe you're trying to take over parts of the world. But, like, it is not... It does not have an implicit sense of direction that I feel like the other Paradox games have. Um, so um, while I'm enjoying it, I don't know if I'm going to hook into it as much as, say, I hooked into, I've hooked into CK3. I do know that uh, it is a... It is a, a contentious thing. Uh, there's It's mixed on Steam. It has mixed really? reviews on Steam. Yeah. Um, I'm reading the top negative review right now which says um you know look if you're a masochist like me who owns every paradox game and most of the dlc no review of vicky 3 is going to affect your purchase decision you're going to buy it play it for hundreds of hours and then complain about how much it sucks to anyone who will listen which i think is very fair right um but then he goes on to say, like, the review isn't for him. It's for someone who is, like, new to Paradox Games. And he says, Victoria 3 is embarrassingly unpolished. You know, he's writing this review a few days after release with 31 hours played. In that time, he's encountered an enormous number of bugs, poorly balanced decision choices, bizarre and stupid AI, repetitive events, insufficient flavor for even the largest countries, and major mechanics like diplomacy and war that are so bare bones, I can only describe them as downright incomplete. Um <clears throat> Uh, that seems, uh, interesting, I guess, to me, uh, because I think I get it. It's sort of actually how I felt about Crusader Kings 3 on launch, right? Um, where it, it, I was nicer to, to, to Crusader Kings 3. My thing with Crusader Kings 3 is it felt bare bones, you know, a little bit. I was like, there's, n there's enough here that I'm interested in, not enough here to hook me, right? Um... And and then I feel like that pattern is repeated a couple of times, right? It's repeated for Imperator Rome. It's repeated for Stellaris. It's repeated for Crusader Kings. And now we're kind of here with Victoria 3. And it's like, okay, well, you know, are we in this trap of... Like, Warhammer 3 also did this, right? Of um, this is a fresh game with no DLC, but is being compared against 
all of these other very established games with tons of DLC, right? Hearts of Iron 4 is, you know, is a game that just put out its, you know, its most recent major DLC pack, right? Which is focusing on these minor, minor countries because they've already done essentially, you know, Germany, they've done uh, the United States, they've done No Step Back, that was Russia, um, I think Blood of the Tiger or something was China and Japan, right? And it's just like, okay, well, if I'm making a grand strategy game and now all and I have all these DLC packs that are giving like a lot of love and attention to to these pieces of the game, is Victoria Three going to be, um, you know, sort of for me? Is it going to kind of like work out? for me um and i think that's an that's an interesting question that i have yet to answer because i have never i haven't played it at all right um i've also never played victoria 2 i just know the meme of yeah. vicky 3 yeah no i i agree um yeah i i my my guess is after this week i put a little bit more time in it i'll end up putting it on the shelf for a while and go back to my beloved ck3 um and keep playing that game um uh, hopefully this doesn't go the way of imperator because uh they drop support for Imperator real quick. Um, yeah, I also hope that does not happen because I'm a little I'm a little bummed about Imperator. I mean, I I don't know. I didn't like Imperator. We we kind of shat on Imperator when we did our our review of the game. Um, or did we actually do a review of the game? I think we did. Or did we just talk? Okay. Um, I remember shitting on Imperator really hard, right? We talked a lot about the mana problem, right? Um, which is something that has afflicted other games in the past. Um, you know, and and kind of like how, and how this stuff will work. I'm gonna be interested to see how how Vicky Three sort of tackles some of some of these pieces of the puzzle. Um, just because you know you can imagine that there's just a lot of interesting stuff that that period of time is going to cover, right? Uh, you know, the the American Civil War happens in here. All of this stuff with Imperial, you know, England, um, the kind of the most powerful. Uh, imperial, I mean, I don't know, depending on how you define American empire in the current age, you might say that's a more powerful empire, but the most powerful empire the world has ever seen um, with the British empire at kind of its height, uh, you know, you have carving up colonial Africa with, you know, all of the different European powers sort of taking and staking and staking their claims. Um, you have the unification of major European countries like Italy and Germany uh, kind of coming to the fore and fighting like really devastating wars in the midst of technological kind of upheaval, right? Uh, all of that stuff is really interesting and compelling and you, you can see how it would make a great, just like a really great solid title. And I could say the same thing for fucking Imperator, right? I mean, Hannibal marching across the Alps, like being able to do that in a grand strategy game is insane and super cool, right? Uh, but who knows? Maybe maybe they just kind of can't get it together. Um, I don't know. We'll see. I'm gonna. Yeah. I'm definitely going to dig into it more this week, and we'll probably talk about it uh, more more completely soon. Yeah. I don't know if ne next week, but soon. Soon. Um, so something that we said we wanted to talk about before we started, since we got 10 minutes left at this point, Want to talk about the new WoW talent trees? Or fuck yeah, let's talk about these new WoW talent trees. Let's go. All right. Um, so I'll I'll start just because like my view is going to be very kind of uh, limited because I only play monk. I only play windmark or monk. So I've been dicking around with it. Um, I've been I've actually been surprised by how much I have enjoyed engaging with the talent system so far. I don't know if that'll hold. I don't know if like I'll set up like my X number of talent presets and just never think about it again but like i definitely enjoyed sitting or sitting down and picking and choosing and like making little adjustments 
um, before raid last week. Um, uh, I have uh, I haven't done a ton with it since, but like I've already like thinking about like how I, how I want things to go, and I find it super interesting. I'm I'm impressed by the amount of kind of like variability you're allowed to have, kind of, and also that you can kind of switch things up on the fly. I really like that. Like I like being able to, you know, like you know for the multiplayer for the multi fights. Um, the few multi-fights we had in, in, um, in this raid, I switched over to my AOE build and I got my Phalanx Stomp because I'm getting that from the Covenant still and bonus through from the Talent Tree and that was fun. Um, uh, I've been having a, a, a good time with it. I like that there's like a little bit more flexibility, a little bit more things you can do. Like I just dropped paralysis and like basically everything I have, I can pick it up later if I need to. But like, mm. you know, I don't really need that. I also don't need the part of Provoke that like makes things run faster towards me. I don't, get, yep. I don't actually know why anybody would really do that. Honestly. Oh, that's really good utility. Don't underestimate the amount of that utility. When a boss, and when a dungeon boss, runs away and you want to get it like back into melee, using Provoke ah. to have it run at your group much faster and get into melee increases your damage uptime. And it's real good. It, it's, this is something we use in my Mythic Plus push team all the time because uh, Stoops Jade is a, is a Windwalker. Or not a Windwalker, a Mistweaver. Okay, interesting, interesting. Well, now now Jade doesn't have doesn't have that by default. They have to talent into it. Um, but I've been, I've been in, enjoying it in theory, even if, like, you know, I think... Maybe that Windwalker statue is, or not a Windwalker. It's not. It's not part of the Windwalker tree, but like the the damage statue is maybe a miss. I don't know if I'm ever gonna actually take that in practicality. Um, but my you know, understanding it's, uh, is that it's, it's very good in Mythic Plus, but I don't know if it'll be good in Raid. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I've been. Uh, uh, yeah, because you can control packs a little bit better in in Mythic yeah. Plus. That makes that makes a lot of sense. But I've been having fun with it. Um, what are your What are your thoughts? I have also been having fun with it, though I do think it the novelty will wear off pretty pretty swiftly, right? Um, which is mostly just uh, the reality of I don't think there's any system in WoW that is that is sort of infinitely fun, right? I don't think there's any version of WoW talents that are going to be fun six months from now in the way that they are fun now, just because they're they're novel now, right? Um, but I also don't think that chasing that impossible dream will sort of matter. Um, and I'm kind of interested to see, just on a balance level, how much things can kind of be pulled off, right? We've talked a lot in terms of Shadowlands about sort of the, the problem of having a meta, the problem of optimization, the problem of a community social engine built around enforcing, um, you know, certain choices inside of... Um, it, it, like inside of a game like this one. And I don't think that the talent tree is going to be any different than that, right? On day one of the pre-patch, WoW had put out guides that said, these are the best talent builds. You know, like these are the best talent builds that you can go. Um, how, how do you how do you counteract that? Like there's just no, you can't design a system around that. I, it's, it's impossible. There, are, you, there is no possible way that you can outsmart that kind of like, million monkeys on on a million typewriters uh sort of kind of uh like brain like collective brain computing power essentially um that said i think the talents are a win specifically because it consolidates all of these choices into one simple system and i don't mean simple in the sense that the I don't mean simple in the sense that the 
that there's not like complexity or there's like deep mechanics happening just in the fact that it is all straightforward and in kind of one place right once we exit shadowlands really the only level of that kind of power is going to come from talents right um there are no legendaries there are no um you know the soul binds right there are no conduits there are no azurite traits there are no uh you know like artifact abilities right like how in in across wow history how many different systems have been sort of layered atop one another um people call these like the borrowed power systems right how many of these different systems have kind of been like layered atop one another um and how much does it make playing a character confusing to have to manage all of those different things, right? To make sure your soul binds are correct. You're using the correct version of this. You have the right legendary and the right slot, like all these other sorts of things, right? At the end of the day, all of that is just buckled right inside of, you know, like right inside of the talent tree. Um, the warrior talent tree is the only one I have really done anything extensive with. It is good and fun and very interesting. It has a lot of interesting choices. Um, I don't know who designed it, but they kind of hit it. They kind of just knocked it out of the park right from the get-go. Basically, everything in the Warrior Talent Tree has stayed the same throughout beta um, and until hitting live. The Warrior Talent Tree is frequently cited as the best of the talent trees uh, just by, like, content creators or whatever, just because it offers sort of interesting, you know, interesting sort of choices, right? The end game for ARMS, for instance, has a Mortal Strike-centered build, like a Mortal Strike Bleeds-centered build. Bladestorm right? Uh, when you want to do cool stuff with Bladestorm and uh, Execute, when you want to do cool stuff with Execute. And the idea of creating these three sub-builds inside of the arms tree is everything I wanted out of Talents, right? This is something I talked about months ago when they first previewed this with Dragonflight um, earlier this year, and I was like, this is the thing that I want out of you know, like out of these uh, talent trees, this is the thing that I'm that I'm sort of looking for um, on on kind of a level is to is to subdivide my spec into these cool little sub builds that I can go down, um, and I have found it very fun to to go down them right, even in the incomplete state that that they're in uh, in the Shadowlands sort of the Shadowlands pre patch. Obviously, I'm sure we're going to talk way more about this as we end up getting to level 70. We get five more points in either of our trees and have you know like these trees were built for level 70 characters in dragonflight they were not built for level 60 characters in shadowlands um which is part of why like i was destroying the meters but i was destroying the meters with like essentially if you go down that execute side of the tree but then you are a venthyr warrior who uses condemn right which is the covenant ability like it's just insanely it's just an insane amount of damage you just do so much fucking damage with that um loadout uh and so uh that was that was definitely like fun but like i no way that's balanced right nobody balanced that for pre-patch basically so so the crazy thing was is like on that first fight i was like keeping pace with you for most of it until we hit the single target phase um i think oh yeah right at the end yeah because it's just hitting condemn over yeah. and over it has basically 100 percent crit chance and it, it, yeah that yeah <laughs> the thing that's crazy though is that like i think you can actually do what i did um, when you hit endgame, because both the Feyline Stomp and uh, and Bone Brew are present on the uh, on the Windwalker tree, I think you'll have enough. Um, I think you'll have enough points to, to get both of them. Maybe not as effectively as I did, but like that felt really good. Um, but of, of course, it's also like very kind of focused on like uh, on on AOE stuff, 
who knows how it'll go but yeah. yeah lou says in the chat i have multiple covenant powers it feels like cheating honestly the thing that feels like cheating to me is that i have multiple talents that used to be broken off into different roles into, into, into like different rows right yeah you know i never used to be able to take fervor for battle and rend together now i can that feels incredible that feels so fun and cool um uh, you know, like having ha being able to take, you know, avatar and uh, anger management, right? Like and do and do dreadnought, right? Like all of these, all of these talents that used to be sort of um, like the inroad choices that are now kind of individual talent points at different points in the tree. I just think all of that is really sweet. Yeah, no, like I can take dampen magic and also or uh, diffuse magic and dampen harm and. Uh, a couple buffs to like, I, like to to one of the like the brews. Like I could, I can't tank, but I can be pretty tanky as a windwalker. Like I've got all sorts of mitigation stuff. The only thing that I'm I'm missing, and I get I guess I get where they took it away is there there used to be a talent to make touch of karma heal you on damage taken, and there's that's nowhere in the tree anymore. So it makes me sad face. But they got a bunch bunch of buffs to touch death, which is like my favorite spell in the whole game. So I'm excited. Um, I'm yeah, that, I mean, it's huge. Like the legendary power, right? You can just take that in the talent tree. You, drop it to drop it to one minute. You can get the 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 um. Well, you can't drop it to one minute. You could drop it to one point five, which is a little bit disappointing. Okay. But like, you can also get like a use twice power, which is great for bosses. You can you know tap it twice. Um, you can get there's like the um, there's the, the what's what's the name of the 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 the, uh, the roguelike place from this expansion? I can't remember. Torghast. You can get the Torghast flying guillotine power, which I don't think will be useful in raids, but like in the open world, you hit a button, four things die. That's awesome. Um, like I am, I am so you know, it's it's uh, it's it's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I, I, the thing that I am actually doing is leveling new characters. The thing I want, I really want to do, is I want to level a character for each class and play through that talent tree. You know, like at level by level. Yeah. Right? Um, I have done that with the warrior tree because I had a warrior at like level 40 something and I was just like, well, I already know this tree really well. So let me just like get like knock this one out of the way. Um, but yeah, it is really interesting because like the demands of playing a leveling character in the open world are just so like radically different than the demands of playing a, um, you know, a character in the end game. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, that that is that is one of my new things that I, that I am going to be working on when it comes to WoW talents and WoW stuff in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I might pick up um, uh, my my uh, my Worgen Rogue again just to see what uh what's happening there. I'm uh, it's uh exciting times, exciting times. Maybe I'll go back to Steve Arino. The uh, hell yeah, uh, yeah, the priest. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. Although I expect that, like, I'll just play Bill Among for the most part. I'm bad at ults. I'm, I, I don't even, like, you know, do the other specs. Maybe I'll learn those. I doubt it. Um, but, you know, yeah. Um, but we've, we've hit time. You want to talk about anything else or are we good to get out of here? Uh, you know, I do have some other stuff on my mind, but I don't think I want to talk about it now. We can, we can save it. We can save it for later. All right. Um, well, if you'd like to talk, tell us about any of the things you, uh, uh, heard about on this podcast, you can email us at dirtsplaygames.com or podcast at dirtsplaygames.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv, so these go out live. Um, rate and review us on iTunes. Um, I should probably actually check. I don't think anybody's emailed us, but I have not checked lately. So we're going to live check to see if we have anything in the email, and we never do. Uh, no, we don't have anything in the email. So uh, you guys send us emails sometime. Um, 
Uh, like I said, like a couple weeks ago, we, we passed seven years old, so happy birthday to us. Um, that's everything I have. Buddy, you have anything else you're looking to promote? Um, I have nothing else I'm looking to promote, I don't think. Uh, so, yeah. All right. Well, in that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.